Morning, Carrie Joe. Happy Valentine's Morning. Morning. Oh, that's not the announcement. So, we do have some announcements this morning. First announcement is for team leaders. There's a team leader meeting today, immediately following service. Yay. Um, um, and this one is coming from our Fatherhood Watchmen team leader, Tony Tate. If you are a man willing to make encouragement contacts with new husband or outside men, please see Tony. For those of you who don't know, this is Tony. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, and now this uh, is uh, for on-call, this would be an on-call volunteer position that would help out our pantry. Um, for items that are going to be nearing their uh, expiration date, we want to move those out to people in our community uh, uh, who may not be able to come. So if you are interested in helping to deliver those items, please see me, and then I will get you hooked up with some. Um, uh, I will get you on the list. Excuse me for um, it'd be like a rotating on-call thing. So if you can only deliver once a month on the third Sunday, if there's nothing to deliver, then I'll just say, hey, Ron Mack, there's nothing to deliver this week. You are good to go. All right. And your questionnaires, if you have, if you are a member and you have not filled those out yet, please get those filled out and turn it in. Carrie and Christopher. Oh. <laughs> um, now and then remember we are participating in the bless every home uh, to pray for people in your neighborhood and in the church community and in the church um, Pastor Dan can send you a registration link and also there are paper directions Yes. there will be at the back of the sanctuary in a few moments and then we're, if you're unable to hear the sermon or you're just like, hey, I'd really like to know what was happening because you had to work or you were sick or whatever, you can text LISTEN to 409-409-0095 for a link uh, to the podcast or the podcast uh, link is actually in your bulletin. And that was a lot to type out, so, you know, you can't just click on it, guys. <laughs> And also on our um, church website, if you are feeling the need to get some random encouragement throughout the week, you can sign up um, for an encouragement. I don't know. How do those come out? Are they text? Are they emails? Yeah, variety. We email, we text, and we do voice calls. All right. And those, and you can sign up for that on the church website, New Heights Fellowship. It's newheightsfellowshipchurch.org. Um, and there's a tab that says, Encourage Me. Um, also, we've got a couple more. We've got announcements this week, guys. Um, so today our, continues our um, sermon series on uh, spiritual circumcision. And today, if you, again, nursery, children's workers, if you're not in here, the text this week uh, can be found in Romans 2.29. Um, and Pastor Dan's sermon today is titled Spirit Over Letter. Mm-hmm. And for those of you who don't know, on the back of your bulletin, if there's just a whole slew of random things that you want to know knowledge about, such as information on the church, how to give online or electronically, um, we can also have help and listen. Those are all located on the back of your bulletin. If ever you are trying to tell someone about them and you can't remember, they are listed right here, right up under our vision statement. All right. Is that, are there any announcements that I'm missing? Alright. Amalia, will you open us up in prayer, please? Sure. <clears throat> Dear 
you, Lord. We thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity to be here in your house. We thank you for those that you've brought with us. We ask your blessing as we go throughout this week, as we uh, attack all of these things that you've set before us and, and this long list of announcements that is getting us back to uh, the things that we should be doing for you. And we ask especially that you watch over those of us who are not able to be here in this forum this morning that may be joining us online um, or that may be in a different place. And we ask your guidance and that you bring them back to us safely. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
Okay, praise God. So I have before me the list of names from our neighborhood, and we're going to do this first. I had a little bit of technical difficulty. I thought I had printed them off, but apparently I had not printed them off. I'm going to do it from paper. And then that there's my phone. So that's my easiest way to access my email. And so people are watching us via my phone right now, so I couldn't access my email. So then I thought, oh, get my wife's phone. And then right after I asked her if I could do the phone, I remembered I can do it on here. So that's it right there. That's the list. Also, I confess to you before we ever pray that I have already clicked the click when done button. So we're committed now. We must pray for these folks today, okay? So because I wasn't sure if it was going to work, and it looked like it was copied in there, I thought, oh, I don't know if it's going to work or not. And so I clicked when done, and then I had to sign in. And then so it's already registered that we prayed, so we're going to do that. And then, uh, and then you'll have an opportunity after we pray to possibly share something that God has spoken to you about this week or shown you in the scripture or something like that. Um, and uh, I had a couple of interesting experiences myself that I may or may not share. Let's just hear what, we all, what we're all hearing from the Lord. Okay, so first of all, these are the names. They are John Ritchie of 1932 Kelsey Avenue, Charlene and Joseph Maggard of 1922 Kelsey Avenue. We're working our way down Kelsey. Linda and Mandy Reed of 1916 Kelsey, Israel Jimenez of 1910 Kelsey Avenue, and Hannah Hedges of 1910 Kelsey. And then there's a suggested prayer in the box, and it's always based on a scripture. And so we'll pray. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, you are an awesome God. And even as we uh, begin to talk today about what you've been saying to us, what you've been doing in our lives, what you've been showing us, how you've been urging our hearts in your direction. We look now to you for the ultimate in sustenance. Amidst a world pandemic, with some people so fearful about what may come next or about what they're going to experience, about whether or not they are going to get COVID. And some have already had it and gotten over it, and some have lasting residual effects. But Lord, we're, um, we're grateful that you've been with us during such a difficult time and activated us and allowed us to serve. At the same time, that brings us to conviction because perhaps we haven't served the way that we could. And we ask for forgiveness. And thank you that that's available through Jesus, your son. And we ask the Lord to now bless us as we seek to pray for this list and for one another and to come together, united to worship you. We pray for those who are still hurting, of course. And then we pray, Lord, that for those who are on our minds and hearts and also for these names that we call, that they may experience your perfect love. Lord, I guess we would have to pray that for ourselves. We want to experience your perfect love. Father, we know the scripture says such love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. If we are afraid, it is for fear of punishment. And this shows that we have not fully experienced his perfect love. God, help us. Help these we've listed. Help our friends, our family, our co-workers, students at our school, clients, visitors, whether they know you or not, Lord, we are praying them into your presence to experience your perfect love. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Thank you very much. Okay, so how has the Lord been speaking this week? What have you seen? What have you heard? Brother Frank. Um, just recently, a lot of you guys know that I've been going through some things, wives, everything else, and the last couple of days, the healing process has been great. Um, the last two days, been ready to run around the block. Well, I can't do that, but, you know, it's just great how the Lord works, you know, the blessings, the healing, and everything. 
God is good. Thank you. We've been praying for you. Okay, who else? Well, we just want to say thank you for all you guys. No idea how much prayers I've got from a lot of you, songs from just everything. It's the Lord, anyways, but just awesome. Um, just you know, the Lord just kept on my heart. You don't know who you are. You don't know who you are. You don't go very far. And um, even those in podcasts, you know, just a reminder of just. I gotta say, I, I my goal, my testimony. I was 23 years old. You know, I didn't know who I was. You know, I was condemned and I forsaken by God. I wouldn't even know I was. But today I was able to call on the Lord, and the Lord accepted me through Christ Jesus. You know, I've been under His Lordship, His workmanship. I've been under His conviction, His mercy. And for the last 16 years, I, I, you, I couldn't even tell you why I've been out of control. Can't keep my heart right. Don't know why I got things going on, all this stuff. But there was so much foolishness that I didn't have ever do in my life. And, um, you know, I, I got to say, I, I've never felt like this in my entire life. And it was from a lot of here who I was on the scene, behind the scenes, churches I've gone to. There's been a lot of false hope and false truth, but there's also been some true hope, some true love, and some true truth. So I'm very grateful for a lot of things that people don't even know what they said or did just by stepping out. And... Um, I just want to say thank you. And this verse, I just love this. this you know, I'm, I love the word. It's 2,000 years. You know, the oldest books are like the Iliad and Odyssey. They're about the closest there is. There is nothing as close to the Bible that is stand the test of time. Right. And this is Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 13. This is my go-to monthly scripture. i got nothing else to go to. But it says, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to godliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. There's a comma. While we wait for the blessed hope, the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Another comma, 14. Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own common, that it was very own, eager to do what is period. Drop the mic. Very much the same. But it's just so awesome that God appeared to everyone. God is here today. Or anybody that wants to accept Him, we're condemned and forsaken without Christ Jesus. But we come under His workmanship, His Lordship, His purity, His holiness, His righteousness. He nails our unrighteousness to the cross and helps us deal with that unrighteousness. And then Someday he will come back again, and we're waiting, patiently serving, living. I got my GPS on. I'm glorifying God, pleasing God, serving God. Easier said than done, but it's God that's strengthening me. And I, and I said it before, you know, I'm strong right now, and the others are strengthening me. But even if they don't, I can actually finally say it. But the Lord is always strong, and he can strengthen me. If I don't get what I need from others, I have the sustenance from God. His, his supper, his, his table, giving me strength every day. And then 14, you know, he sets us apart for himself. He sets us apart for himself. It's for himself. He's not doing it because, you know, we need to do this. We need, No, it's for himself. You belong to him. He loves you. He adores you. He almost, not say worship, but he sees the image of Christ and he draws near to it. Draws near to us. For himself and then for his own and then to do what is good. Not just to do good things, but his goodness and his righteousness. 
what he says is good and what he says is right. Just so awesome. Amen. Hope you're highly encouraged. Have a great pick. Amen. God bless you. All right. Anyone else? So whether you know it or not, and we don't we don't follow the I don't know what you call it, ecumenical calendar or whatever, but the way they tell you to do church, we don't do church the way they tell you to do church, we do church the way God tells us to do church, um, but it's Transformation Sunday, and so in a lot of churches all over the place, especially those who are following that calendar, they're celebrating today the transformation of Jesus, and they're leading up into Easter, it's one of the earlier texts uh, that they sort of like attribute to Easter and so on, and it's when Jesus went up on the mountain and he saw... Uh, he took a couple of disciples with him, and he saw some pretty incredible people there, Moses and Elijah, and, and uh, I remember Peter saying, oh, Lord, it's good that we're here, we can build you all some tents, and I like that, and, uh, but Jesus was transformed there, and they saw what he would look like after all, and so it's a great celebration because we too are in the process of being transformed. It's a long road for us, it feels like, because we're kind of still in the midst of it, still in the midst of it. But um, today, I just want to kind of put in your, uh, in your minds that thought um, when Jesus came up out of the water and, Je- and God said to him, this is my son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And so, be encouraged today to listen to him. Whether I get it right or wrong, whether we write scripture today or not, all scripture speaks about Christ. That's, one of, that's the unifying theme from Genesis to Revelation. It's all about Jesus. And so listen to him today. Not the person that's next to you or the person that came with you or there's somebody else in the room. But listen to him today. Okay? This is my son with whom well pleased. Listen to him. All right. So we're going to pray together at this time and then transition to tithes and offerings, a little more worship, and then I'll have the word. Uh, Brother Frank, would you kindly pray for us and remember blessed tithes and offerings? Lord, as we gather today to listen to your word, please bless these words, Lord, that we're inclined to hear. Please bless the offering, Lord, that it may help the church grow even stronger. Bless the people that are sick and not be here. Be with us and our families and our youth. Be with new heights and outreach. Thank you. say something about that. The, um, the basic argument is that God's love is not reckless. And I would agree with that. So 
Um, there's a certain context of listening to this song and then in that sense because God's love is not reckless, it's very intentional. Amen. He knows he's, he knows what he will do. But there are certain things that God will not do on our behalf. He will not change his character. He will not become something else for us. He is God. He's eternal. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. So he may, for example, tolerate our sin for a little while, but it will be dealt with at some point. Um, he has gone, he will and has gone to incredible lengths to save us from our sins. Amen. But our sins still have to be dealt with. And um, whether it's through Christ on the cross or whether it's hell, it's dealt with one way or another in the end. So from God's standpoint, his love is very intentional and he knows exactly what he's doing. There's no chaos. There's no uncertain outcome from his perspective. But from our point of view, it does seem reckless, out of control, maybe sometimes or, you know, no bounds to what he'll do for us. But, um, just wanted to put that out there. <laughs> Sing if you want to. Come on, give the Lord a glory. Let's do it.
Let your love surround me. Bring me near, draw me to your side. Oh,
Sometimes after worship, I feel like there just isn't anything left to be said. We began a sermon series last week, and I want you to know that it has happened to me a number of times in my life that we are in the midst of a sermon series or just beginning a sermon series, and I come under heavy attack. Usually, I find that that means that I'm about to say, or the Lord would want me to say, Something that uh, will glorify him and help us to better understand his nature, draw us to him and, and encourage us to apply what we've learned. And so I have already uh, been adjusting, trying to adjust to what I'm about to try to explain. It is a relatively complicated thing and we're going to come at You know how to roller coaster, you do the chink, 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 and then you hit the hill down and you get the speed. We're going to skip the chink, 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 and we're going to go straight to the hill down. All right. So if you're a fan of the chink, 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 as you prepare yourself to go down the fast hill, we don't get to do that today because we have to recap where we're at and the sermon series a little bit, so we'll make sure everybody's on the same page, and we're going to do that very quickly, very briefly, so you're going to have to start with your thinking cap on, start by absorbing right away, and then into the text, which is moderately lengthy, so you will not get an explanation of every word or every phrase, because we're looking at it as an overview, and then we have to come out of that with how to be affected and how to live our lives according to what the text said. So to get all that in and to do it, uh, in a way that uh, makes sense and is God-honoring. It's going to go fast-paced the majority of the time. It is nice occasionally to slow down, but we don't really get that opportunity to slow down today. All right, so now you've been warned. Put your thinking caps on. Uh, all right, here we go. So we started a sermon series last week, and we basically began in Genesis 17. You'll recall, it was God, God's promises to Abraham. And basically, God was saying, I'm going to do all this for you. And then he right away afterwards, and we stopped there the first time we looked at it, but he right away afterwards says, and you're going to be circumcised for me. He went on to say that everybody who is circumcised is of me, and everybody who is not circumcised is not of me. In fact, he said, if there is a stranger amongst you, or if you yourself, or any person amongst you is found not to be circumcised, they have no part with me. That caused us then to begin to look at what Christian circumcision is. It is not the snipping of the physical foreskin. We obviously have put that behind us. It is not of the flesh. And though the works of God, if you are living for the Lord and following the commands of the Lord, they may count for you as circumcision if you did that completely. We discovered it is not that because nobody does that completely. Rather than we looked at what circumcision would be. In Deuteronomy 30, Moses is speaking, and he talks about how there would come a time when God's people would not be following him. Remember, they were the stewards of the word. They would not be following him, and they would essentially be shunted off into other nations in captivity. They would lose the land, the promised land that God had offered them, the ability to be blessed in the land that God had offered them. Then God would call them back to himself. He would put in them where there was a heart of stone, a heart of flesh. He would give them compassion. And most importantly, he would give them his Holy Spirit. And so last week we discovered, looked at how 
circumcision for Christians is largely internal. It is a circumcision of the heart. It is being affected by God internally. Then we were basically heavily getting uh, out of Romans chapter 2, verses 27 through 29, and ending in 29, this sermon series to better understand this circumcision of the heart that God would do bless you. Verse 27, chapter 2 said, And will not he who is physically uncircumcised, if he keeps the law, will not he judge you who through, who though having the letter of the law and circumcision are a transgressor of the law? That's that same thing that we said. Will they not clearly see that we have not followed, even if we are circumcised, we have not followed the, the law completely as we we're supposed to, those who are uncircumcised, if they themselves are following the law. Okay? And we talked about that last week. Then 28. For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, neither is he is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. And then 29 essentially becomes the overarching verse for the entire sermon series. It is this. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. And that's our phrase for our title today, by the spirit, not by the letter, or I've rephrased to say spirit over letter. But our circumcision of the heart will be by the spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from men, but from God. Okay, so now you're there. Now grab your Bibles if you would, take a deep breath, hoot, holler, say amen, whatever, as we go to Romans chapter 7. This is God's word. You're caught up to where we're at in the sermon series now. I expect that you will digest it and allow God to affect you. I hope you're excited about God's work in your life today. Romans 7, 1 begins like this. Or do you not know, brethren, for I am speaking to those who know the law. So he's talking to those who know the Bible, right? Or do you not know, brethren, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives? For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living. So if her husband is alive, she's bound by law to him. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. So then, if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, so that she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. So because her husband dies, she is free from the law to be joined to her husband, and rather is free to be joined to another man. So she has escaped the burden of the law because her husband died, right? Four. Therefore, my brethren, you also were made to die to the law through the body of Christ that you might be joined to another, to him who was raised from the dead, that we might bear fruit from God. Now, there is a doctrine-packed verse right there. We're not going to digest it all, but I do want to give you just a basic understanding in case you didn't get it on the first read-by. Therefore, we died with Christ to the law. So we escaped the burden of the law. We escaped the burden of thinking we would be saved by the law or even in the requirements of following all the law short of fulfilling the law. Okay? Short of the completeness of the law. We don't follow individual pieces of the law. He says you escaped the burden of the law because you died with him who was Christ. And, to, and you lived to him who was raised from the dead who is Christ. That we might bear fruit for God. So in other words, our lives might be made effective. And is that not what we want? We want our lives to be effective. Our lives might be made effective by this process. At least it is made possible that our lives might be made effective. That we died with Christ and now live after that event. Verse 5. For while we were in the flesh, the sinful passions which were aroused by the law. Okay, so your sinful passions are the things that your flesh wants. Your internal man, your carnal man wants. That are not godly, okay? 
sinful passions. They were aroused, it means they were awakened, they were activated, empowered, if you will, by the law. They were at work in the members of our body to bear fruit for death. So you catch all that? So the sinful passions, that's what was at work, our sinful passions were at work in the members, that's the parts, not like your limbs, but your whole parts of your body, to bear fruit for death. So that's the wrong way, that's not what you want. Death, separation from God, verse 6. But now we have been released from the law, having died, to that by which we were bound, so that we serve in newness of the Spirit, capital S, and not in oldness of the letter. And so now our lives are lived in newness of the Spirit, not in the way the law was written and given to men. Okay, Not in the understanding of what it says in Scripture, simply do this, okay, if I do that, I'm right by God. If I don't do that, I'm wrong by God. But rather, we are walking in the Spirit, not in the oldness of the letter. Verse 7, we'll come back to that in the points. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? May it never be. So remember what just happened. Because in the law came in, then our sinful passions were arised, and we be- began to bear essentially fruit for death. Or they were aroused. So the power that is empowering those sinful passions to essentially destroy us was what? Was the law. Okay? And he says, we don't want to think that the law is sin. May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. See, the law was informing what sin was. It was highlighting it, uh, shining a light on it, making it obvious. That makes sense? If you go in the dark in a completely pitch black room and you're in there with a, an axe murderer, with a sharpened blade and a, and a wicked look in his eye, and it's completely dark, and somebody flips on the light, and the axe murderer kills you, it was not the light that killed you, it was the axe murderer. Okay, you understand? So he was there anyway, and he was probably going to start swinging regardless. You understand what I'm saying? So it's not the law that did it, but the sin that did it. And we're going to see that a little bit more in this text, all right? So it says, is the law sin? May it never be. On the contrary, I would not have come to know sin except through the law. For I would not have known about coveting if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. So so sin produced in me a desire for all this other stuff that I'm not supposed to desire. Once I knew, or as I knew, or because I knew, or because it was clear. Uh, the forbidden fruit always seems to be desirable, look better, etc. And the law lays out what is forbidden, and so people go after it, is basically what he's saying. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Hang on, that may be one of the most important things you need to hear. Apart from the law, sin is dead. Nine, and I was once alive apart from the law. Hear that? But when the commandment came, sin became alive, and I died. And that's where Paul would elsewhere write in Ephesians 2, we were dead in our transgressions and sins, right? Sin became alive, and I died. So there's a trading of places there. Sin was dead, and I was alive. Then the law and the commandment became obvious, and the truth became obvious, and then sin became alive, and I died. And what this actually looks like in your life, very practically speaking, is when you have a choice to make and you can go the wrong way or you can go the right way. And the moment you go the wrong way, decide to go the wrong way, or even yearn to go the wrong way, think about going the wrong way, the moment that you do that, you give life to the wrong way. The wrong way becomes a thing. Once you've done it a few times, it becomes a well-beaten path, a way to go. 
don't give life. But it happens. Sin became alive and I died, verse 10. And his commandment, which was to result in life, so God gave us the commandments to result in life, proved to result in death for me. For sin, taking opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. You can almost hear the conflict in the Garden of Eden between Adam and Eve and the serpent, right? She looks, oh, that's a good tree. That, that fruit looks good to eat. Yeah, well, they all look good to eat, right? All the trees were good. But this is the one tree that she was told to leave alone. It's the one tree that they were told not to eat from. They had to tend it, but don't eat from it. And she warped God's word, and the law was misquoted, and then she took of the tree, and she ate, deceived, believing that she would not be killed, but indeed she was killed, believing that she would not be poisoned, believing that sin would not be wrong for her life, but indeed sin was wrong for her life, and it always will be. And it says, taking opportunity through the commandment deceived me, and through it killed me. So then the law is holy, and the commandment is holy, and righteous, and good. Also, that's a great verse to memorize, by the way, right there, verse 12. Therefore, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? Was it the law or the teachings of the Bible that were the cause of death for me? May it never be. Rather, it was sin in order that it might be shown to be sin by affecting my death through that which is good. In other words, sin, because sin is sin and it's 100% sin and there's nothing about it. There's no grades or shades or shadows about it. It's sin. Right? Sin leapt up and became sin. Surprise! I'm sin. 100% sin. And given an opportunity to warp our understanding of the word, sin will do that. We have churches that claim to be churches all over the world who are warping an understanding of the word. Rather than taking it for what it says, they want to tweak it a little bit and make it authorize a certain lifestyle, authorize a certain thing, or command a certain thing to get people to do a certain thing, whatever. Sin will always take every opportunity to be sin. Rather, it was sin, back up a little bit, in order that it might be shown to be sin by affecting my death through that which is good. That through the commandment, sin might become utterly sinful. It's absolutely, beyond a shadow of a doubt, clearly it only has one identity. Its integrity is complete. Ours is lacking, but its integrity is complete. Verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual. That's the word of God, spiritual. But I am a flesh sold into bondage to sin. For that which I am doing, I do not understand. For I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. So the things that I don't want to do, the things that are bad for me, the things that I know are wrong as a Christian, sometimes we do them still. He says 16. But if I do the very thing I do not wish to do, I agree with the law. In other words, I know what side I'm on, I know what's right, but I'm doing what I don't want to do or what I shouldn't do, right? Confessing that it is good. I'm confessing that the law is good, but I'm, I'm not following it for whatever reason. 17, he's going to tell us what the reason is. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. Now notice, nowhere in here has sin been killed. At the mix, if you will, of the law and sin, sin came to life. Sin is alive. It's a living thing in you or in me. And I died. But then in Christ, we're about to see something different from me. All right? But sin is still alive. And he says, so now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which indwells me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh, so he's clarifying, 
For the wishing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. In other words, if we, and I always use this example when I'm talking to somebody about spiritual warfare. If you know who you are and you're in your right mind and then suddenly you have a thought that does not agree with who you are, that is spiritual warfare. That is an evil spirit trying to get you to buy into, or it can be your sinful nature, or it can be the world, or trying to get you to buy into an idea that is not your own. If, for example, you would never strike out in anger and punch or hit a family member, and then you're having a difficult time, going through difficulty, whatever, and you feel an urging to do something like that, but you know you would never do that, but in that moment you think, maybe actually you would do that. Which one of those is really you? Well, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you would never do that. Right? So in the moment that you're tempted to do that, the moment you feel that you're compelled to do that, or you have a thought that you might even do that, even if it begins with I, I think I'll do that, whatever. The moment that you do that, you realize that's spiritual warfare. That's a thought coming from somewhere else. And you have to defeat that or take it captive or destroy it even if possible. Kill it, as we're about to see. But the problem is, at certain times, you don't. And then you realize, oh, I should have done what I knew to do was right. And that's what he's talking about. Verse 19 says, For the good that I wish, I do not. But I practice the very evil I do not wish. But if I am doing the very thing I do not wish... I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. Be clear, there's two people, two persons, if you will, talked about in this that are living inside you. That's becoming obvious, isn't it? 21. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wishes to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of good in the inner man. So in other words, my, that part of myself that is internal, my heart, my mind, my when I am calm, when I know who I am, when I'm, when I'm thinking out of my strength, or out of God's love for me, I know who I am. And I joyfully agree with the law. I, I would do all the things that it tells me to do. Verse 23 says, But I see a different law in the members of my body, my, which is yearning to do things that it should not waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members. So this principle that you, and the world teaches this, by the way, is a very hardy thing. You can take what you want. You can stand up for yourself. You can go after it. You deserve it, etc. And those principles are at war coming out of the flesh against the real you, against the you that is in Christ, if you've become a Christian. 24. He says, wretched man that I am. Who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then on the one hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other, with my flesh, the law of sin. In other words, there is a war, a battle going on. That's what he just said. There's a battle going on. My body wants to do one thing. Myself, my inner man, my regenerated man, my, my follower of Jesus man, wants to do another thing. And so there is a conflict, a war going on with my flesh, between my flesh and the Spirit of God in me, or between my regenerated spirit, if you want to say it that way. Verse eight, or Chapter 8, verse 1, or over two-thirds of the way done. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, Right away, you want to say, I want to say, I've always quoted this verse to say, there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus because Jesus died on the cross to pay for all my sins. Right? That's what we teach. That's what we actually believe about this verse. That's why there is no condemnation, because Jesus died to pay for all my sins, past, present, and future. That isn't even what it said, is it? There is therefore, meaning it's based on the previous verses, right? What? 
What is the reason in the previous verses that tells us what the there is therefore is? It is that there is a war going on in us between sinful man and regenerated man. And when sinful man wins out and we sin, sinful man gets the blame. Because God sees the righteousness of Christ in us, sinful man gets the blame for what we did wrong. This is why there is now, therefore, no condemnation, because there is a war going on in me between sinful man, carnal man, if you will, and regenerated God-man. And sometimes it appears I'm losing. But it isn't me. right? If I, if I am carrying a hundred bucks in my pocket and I go down a dark alleyway and I encounter a man who's seven foot five and 410 pounds and, and, you know, armed and mean and nasty or whatever. And he asked me for my hundred bucks. I'm going to give it to him. (laughs) He can have it. And guess what? I am not going to feel, feel the least bit guilty about giving it to him. I'm not going to come out of the alleyway and go, oh, I'm a stupid fool. I never should have given my hundred bucks. Why didn't I fight back? Why didn't I do whatever? Because he's bigger than me. He has already won the fight before the fight begins. Now, that is not the case with sin. But once the other person has won the fight, it's a foolish mistake to beat yourself up over the other person having won the fight. There is a battle going on in you. And when there is sin, give sin the credit because sin is utterly sinful. And the commands were brought out to show that sin is utterly sinful. And taking an opportunity when the commands were brought out, sin originally killed me. Because I have thus died in Christ, I have escaped the demands of the law, and I am no longer dead, I am alive. And being alive, I am at war. And because I am at war, because I am participating in the war, there is no condemnation of me now. I will not be judged as a lost sinner, unsaved, going to hell because I am taking part in the conflict. The battle is still going on and ultimately I will be the winner. Verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. You would die and go to hell based on your actions. Let's be very realistic. Not just whether or not you accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that's the final determiner of whether you'll go to hell or not. But if you take Jesus out of the mix, everybody would die and go to hell based on what the law demands. We are all sinners. We have all been sinners. And we would die and go to hell if it were not for the salvation that Jesus Christ has provided. But then Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God in us, has provided a sustenance, an escape from the law. We died with Jesus, therefore we are free from the law. That's where we began. Verse 3. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as an offering for sin. So in other words, what the law, which was intended to give life, could not do because our flesh man, as it was corrupted in Adam, our flesh man was corrupted and could not follow the rules and the laws and whatever did not, could not, whatever you want to say. God took care of it. He sent his own son. And he sent him in the flesh so that he too had that sinful nature where we did not succeed and avoid all sin. Jesus did succeed and avoided all sin. And so he succeeded and avoided all sin in the weak flesh, same as we have, at war. So Jesus was at war in himself, if you will, with his fleshly desires, and he won. And then died the, sinful, died the death of someone who didn't win. 
And that's getting off on another topic. Verse, uh, the end of verse 3 says, Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. In other words, you don't follow your body. Your body follows God. Your body follows you as you choose to follow God. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. If, you want, if, you, if you're being driven by your desires, if you want a bigger car and you're doing things to get it, if you want a better relationship and you're doing things to get it, you want to feel better about yourself and you're doing things to get it. If those are your motivations, albeit fairly normal, those are fleshly motivations. That's not what we're called to. We follow the things of the Spirit. Our mind is on not on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. Verse 6, For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace, because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, but it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. It is not possible to please God by any method other than being reborn. Verse 9. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. So here is your hope. If actually the Spirit of God dwells in you, meaning if you have accepted Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, been born again and are actually following Jesus, a desire to follow Jesus, then even when you screw up that sin in you, not you, Right? Which is no excuse to continue to do it because your, your goal is to be a person of the Spirit. Verse 9 again. However, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. There's only one way. Verse 10. And if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, Yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. In other words, your flesh died with Jesus and because of sin, and sin was then taken by Jesus onto the cross, right? It's kind of how that goes. But now you are alive because of righteousness that God has bestowed upon you. But if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, in other words, if the Holy Spirit lives in you, He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who indwells in you. So eventually, God is going to do this. It's in process. It's even being done now. Verse 12, So then, brethren, we are under obligation. We have a job to do. There's something that is required of us. Not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. There's your obligation. By the Spirit, putting to death the deeds of the body. And for verse 14, our last verse. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. You understand? For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Okay, so we've read the verses, and now there's a couple of things in there, a few things in there, very powerful things I felt like, because it really affected me, that you need to see. The first one is failure without fail. Failure without fail. A carnal mind cannot keep the law of God. A fleshly mind, a mind driven by the passions that are in your flesh, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, which all men deal with before, during, and after getting saved. They don't go away. 
So at a cellular level, I've um, counseled a number of people over the years uh, who are attempting to lose an, get rid of an addiction. And some people have lengthy success in getting rid of an addiction. But they forget after a month or six months, nine months, a year, two years, whatever, that addiction is actually at a cellular level. There are certain chemical addictions, for example, that your cells, literally every little cell that's in your bicep is addicted to that substance. And so you can feel like you're completely clean and beyond it. And then all of a sudden, some cell in your body calls out for a thing and it becomes like a, remember the viral, it's like a, a, a viral tweet where everybody starts retweeting it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's right. I remember. I remember. I used to get alcohol. I used to get cocaine. I used to get heroin. Whatever. And they go, well, I need that. I need that. We used to have that. Why don't we have that anymore? Right? And pretty soon all your cells are crying out for it and you're taking it back in to fulfill that. The carnal mind cannot fulfill the works of the law. If you should decide as a non-Christian to not lie, you may not lie for a day, a month, a year, a decade, 50 years, and then in one moment tell a lie and be right back into it. If you should use 12-step program and your higher power is not Jesus Christ, the Lord of the universe, and He does not actually rebirth you, He does not actually save you, and then... You may give up alcohol or whatever your particular addictive substance is for however long and go right back into it at some point in time. The carnal mind cannot fulfill the law. It isn't even your fault that it's like that. It goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. It goes all the way back from the moment that Adam was corrupted. And you know who was present in Adam when he was corrupted? Every one of us. All of us were in the seed of Adam. All of us were in his DNA. All of us were represented in him. And so when he sinned, he sinned for all of us. And from that point on, we all have this fleshly nature. We all have this ability to drift off into the things that we want that are not actually good for us. In the Royal Navy, which is uh, the tall ships era, is one of my favorite eras. Uh, In the Royal Navy... Uh, When they would go to war, they would enlist more and more and more men into the Navy. And they would build more ships and they would put them out to sea. And they were a very strong seafaring nation. They traveled all around the world. They could go around the Horn and over to the uh, Spanish Main and all that kind of thing. And on every ship, there was consistent discipline. And if the captain over-disciplined the men, if he whipped them for a small offense, like not saluting an officer, then morale on the ship would sink. And if the captain under-disciplined them, like they could not salute officers and he didn't say anything, or somebody stole an extra ration of food and they didn't get whipped for it or whatever, then morale would sink. And every way that was not perfectly right, mutiny would become more imminent. Now, here's what's amazing. After they served on a sea ship, on a sea vessel like that for months or years, usually years, they would go to come off and they would go to live somewhere else. And you know what would happen? They couldn't function. They didn't want to function. They didn't want to live on land because there was no discipline on land. You can do anything you want, anytime you want. There's no healthy way of living. 
People to, the, to this day, I, I can't tell you the number of people I've counseled with who've been in prison. They went to prison. They've been there for 10 years. They come out and they find that they cannot function in prison. Their, their life was ordered. They knew when they had to eat. They knew when they had to clean up. They knew when they had to be bed down. They knew when the lights would go off. They knew when they had to shower. What days they had to shower. They knew everything was laid out for them. And they began to function like that. And after that period of time, it was perfectly all laid out for them. They come out and they go, oh, and they're shaky and they don't know how to live because now I don't have to shower on Wednesday morning at night, exactly 9 a.m. anymore. And the light in my bedroom doesn't go off at 10 like it used to. And, and they just don't know how to function. The carnal mind would need the utmost in discipline. There would be a separate section of rules perfectly laid out, everything exactly, and followed to a T. And if you don't follow it, the punishment better be severe. If you lie, or if you slander, or if you misbehave by not following your parents' direction, you should be taken outside the camp and killed. Because if everybody doesn't have the perfect disciplinary system, and or if they don't follow that disciplinary system, morale declines and people fall apart, people start to abuse each other, and pretty soon you have no society that's worth anything at all. What am I describing? We're talking about the law that God gave through Moses for their society when they moved in. And they needed to follow it to the letter perfectly and have extremely strict discipline. But what is it about the flesh? You know, I don't like to get whipped when I do something wrong. So I'm just going to cover up my mistakes. I already made a mistake anyway, so now I can lie about it. And it's another sin, sure, but I'm already a sinner, so what the heck? You know? The people in this land, they worship a false god. They worship Baal or Asherah. We can do that too, right? Look how good they look worshiping, going up in their high places and they're on their knees and they have such meaningful worship experiences and they're raising their hands and they're bowing down and they're giving great offerings and they get to sleep with the prostitutes in the temple to make it rain. We can do that too, can't we? Well, God is a God of love and mercy and he's the one who put us there. He's the one who made us. If we have this desire to do these things, then that must be okay, right? No. The carnal man cannot function in any system that is not complete and total and perfectly followed. And since Adam, we have not been able to function in a system like that, which rules it all out. The law was given to demonstrate to us what a system like that would look like and how we would have to live, and then they didn't do it. Neither did we. Failure without fail. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Wicked is the heart who can know it. We are not able. We would fail. In fact, taking that opportunity, when the law came in and and people began to know what was wrong, in fact, Romans 1 says, when those who do not have the law still have rules for themselves, they have things that they're required to do, they show they become a law unto themselves. And then they break the law. So you set a rule for yourself uh, January 1, 10 years ago, whatever, I'm not going to overeat or, or I'm going to start working out or, or I'm going to not lie anymore or I'm going to go to bed at a good time and get up at a good time. You know, we call it New Year's resolution. You set a rule for yourself, then you break the rule. It's the same as if you broke the law of God because you made a rule for yourself and then you broke it. We don't have integrity outside of God anymore. We cannot keep it. Failure was imminent and happened. Then taking an opportunity as we knew what we were supposed to do and didn't do it, sin, being utterly sinful, destroyed us. 
tore us down, tore us apart, put us in a position of utter destruction, death, separation from God. The second thing to see in this text then is that God has facilitated a successful split. The first was that it was going to be failure without fail. The second thing is that God has... I just noticed something I hadn't noticed before. Praise the Lord. God has orchestrated a successful split in us. Our inner man resurrected versus sin which still lives in us. That's the battle. Here for you today, from sunup to sundown, in this corner, the sinful fleshly desires of Dan Stevenson. And in this corner, fully regenerated, rejuvenated, just back from death, completely capable of destroying his opponent despite the obvious differences in size. Dan Stevenson, the Christian. Our inner man resurrected versus the sin which still lives in us. Because we died with Christ, we are freed from the law's natural ramifications as used by sin. It's happened a number of times as I have been... uh, studying the Bible, that I have been impressed by one doctrine that occurs from the beginning to the end. It is not the doctrine that explains everything per se. It's not a theology that I'm about to describe to you, but it is a doctrine that occurs from the beginning to the end. It is the doctrine of the remnant. Is anybody here familiar with friendship bread? You ever heard of friendship bread? It's like a little baggie of nasty stuff. It's yeast and like that. And then you use it to... You take it, you let it grow in the bag for a while, which it does all by itself under the right circumstances, and then you take half of it, and you use half of it to make bread, and then you take the other half, and you, do, and you let it grow some more, and divide it down, whatever, and you give it to your friends, and then they all do it. They take half of it and make bread. What's that? Sourdough starter. Yeah, sourdough starter, but they call it friendship bread. And so, because you can give it to people, right? And you put a little sticker on there, whatever, says a nice thing, that kind of thing. It's the remnant. The remnant is completely capable of making another loaf of bread. I submit to you that God has always reserved for himself a remnant and the doctrine is present all throughout Scripture. There's always been a peace that God could work with. When the prophet said to God, God, I can't go on. God said back to him, I have 300 prophets that I have reserved for myself that have not bowed the knee to Baal. You just won. God has always reserved for himself a remnant. In the nation of Egypt, when they worshipped every false god and made up all kinds of things, the god of the toads and the god of the Nile and the god of, that was Pharaoh and every other god of the gnats and everything else, in there were the Israelites. And God called his remnants out of Egypt and remade his people and sent them back into the promised land. But, before, but he made it go for 400 years because for, for over 400 years they had to suffer, Israel had to suffer in Egypt. And you remember why? Was it because they were sinful? Uh-uh. Because 400 years prior, when God gave the prophecy and said it's going to wait, it's going to be a while, the people that were in the promised land at that time, God wasn't done calling out to them yet. In fact, he even said, there are some people left in there yet. Their sin has not come to full measure. You're going to have to wait. And so they suffered in in Egypt, and then finally God called them out, and and, and he said, okay, there is no remnant left amongst this people. Kill them all! There is the doctrine of the remnant throughout Scripture. Some years ago, Brother Tony and I were way back at East Toledo, and I was a young, young Christian. And uh, we were playing on the softball team, and Sherry and I came out to softball practice at Pearson Park, and there were about 15 people on the team, and Brother Tony was there, and I was there, and uh, Sherry, and I don't know, maybe uh, 
It was before Michael was even old enough to play. I want to say maybe maybe three other people. And we're standing there afterwards talking with Brother Tony and and uh and he was confessing how he was kind of frustrated that he couldn't get the whole team out. But he this is what he told Brother Tony said this to me. He said, My dad used to say to me, You work with what you got. And that stuck with me. And in the church, you got 30 people, 40 people in the church, and only five of them really want to follow God. You work with what you got. The remnant of the Lord in this day is the church. But the real remnant of the Lord is in the church. Do you want to work with God? Do you want to follow God? Do you want to do what it is that God wants you to do, even though sometimes you don't? Well, that don't part, that's sin in you. That isn't even you. If you want to follow God, you work with what you got. You work with the parts of you that want to do what God wants you to do. You work with the skills that God has given you and the gifts that God has given you. Inside you, there is a successful split. God has resurrected a man to live in the house that is you or a woman to live in the house that is you that is completely capable of doing what it is that God wants them to do. But also, still living in the house that is you is sin brought back to life when you first died and still with you. God has orchestrated in us a successful split. I was working at Pizza Hut years ago. I was a Pizza Hut manager for seven and a half years. In my restaurant, I determined there were certain things I wanted to accomplish. And I looked at my crew. I had 40 people. And I asked this question. And it was judgmental. I understand that. But as a manager, sometimes you got to do that. I said, of all of them, who's with me? I went down the list. Is she with me now, really? He with me? Oh yeah, everything I say, he's a yes man. <laughs> Is he with me? Uh, he fights pretty hard. He tries pretty hard. I think, I think if I could get him sold on the idea, he'd be with me. Went down the list. I about 11, 12, something like that. And so I had a meeting. And I didn't invite 40 people to the meeting. I paid all 40 people their normal wage that week. When I had the meeting, I invited 11 people. Some were managers, some were not. Some of the managers who were managers weren't invited. The people that were invited were the people that were with me. It was a subgroup. It was a remnant. It was people that would do what it is that I asked them to do. There is a subgroup within you. You work with the one that is you that will do what you're supposed to do. What it is that God wants you to do. And in a second we're going to talk about how God's going to handle the other part. But understand that there is a failure without fail. The carnal mind cannot follow God, would not follow his law, his ways, his rules. But God has orchestrated within us a successful split. There is now a war, and that war will rage on in you until the moment at which you are complete in the presence of God. And some days it may feel like you're losing. But the truth is, if you are a follower of Lord Jesus Christ, you cannot lose. You will win. And I'm reminded then of Jacob at the side of the river with all of his family and friends watching and the sun just came up and he's been wrestling the angel all night long and the angel said, just let me go. It's enough. I'm done. And he had to have every reason, every reason, embarrassed in front of everybody that knew him that he'd wrestled all night long, sweaty, nasty, dirty, no significant wounds just yet, but scraped up for sure. And just let me go. And Jacob said, I have not lost. Why shouldn't I win? You will win 
if you continue to fight. No matter what the day feels like, you will win ultimately. You may as well win. The third thing to see in the text then is that we have an obligation to overcome. And this is the part that can, if you're not willing, actually, if you're not a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have said you are, if you're making it up as you go along, if you're pretending Jesus is Lord and Master rather than actually having a Lord and Master, if you're pretending you were reborn rather than actually having been reborn, this is the part that will offend. It is the part that you will not want to participate in. It is the part that is difficult, if you will, to the point that we will not succeed. Why? Because the carnal mind, which is what you have if you've not actually been born again in Christ, the carnal mind cannot follow, will not fight. And it is this. We have an obligation to overcome. We have an obligation to overcome. Broken down in this way, the Holy Spirit must occupy you, otherwise you have no part with God. If God's Holy Spirit has not taken up residence in you, you have no part with God. Now, how do you get to the place where you know that? There's very three, three very simple, very quick things. Number one thing, there must have been a change in you. Talked about that last week. Even the lost person understands that if you took, if the Holy Spirit of God took up residence in you, something happened, something changed. It's got to be a change. No change, no God, period. Second thing is, if the Holy Spirit is in you, then you've been gifted, affected, moved in a certain direction, able to do something maybe that you couldn't do before moved to see things in a way that you couldn't see before, etc. He is at work in you. There has been a change, an affected change in your capabilities as well as an affected change in your personality. The third thing is the Holy Spirit testifies with your spirit. So in the quietness, not when you're arguing with your significant other, not when you just got abused by your parents verbally, not when your paycheck just turned out, not in the middle of the trouble, but in the quietness. In the solitude, when it's just you talking to God and listening to God, you recognize that there is a third being in the conversation. Not a demon or an evil spirit. He doesn't mean you any harm. He's not trying to make you feel guilty. If he's trying to make you feel guilty, that's not God. It's not Holy Spirit. But he's encouraging you. He's convicting you. He's helping you to understand the word, etc. He's the Holy Spirit. And if he's in you, then you have part with God, and if he's not, you have no part with God. And if you have no part with God, then you'll have no part with God in eternity. And you're not going to win the fight. Sin, instead, has you captive. And basically, you're dead already. But if the Holy Spirit of God is in you, then it's not so. We have an obligation to occupation. He must be in you in order for you to be saved. Next, we have an obligation to leading. Now understand, we have to let the Holy Spirit of God lead us, and this takes people some very dangerous places. People say, well, I've led the Spirit, and they dance naked before the Lord, or they kill people, they slay people in the Spirit, or they prophesy things that aren't of God at all, have nothing to do with what God would say, or people exercise their gifts, they shout crazy words in, in service because they've heard that people speak in tongues, or whatever. This can be very dangerous, being led by the Holy Spirit, especially if you're not actually being led by the Holy Spirit. It's in no way contrary to the Word. The Holy Spirit is not going to throw out your Bible. It's not going to have you read a passage of Scripture in the Bible and go, well, that doesn't exactly mean what it says, because, wait for it, this means everything it says exactly. There may be a deeper meaning, a place you have to go with it, something you have to do because of it, but there's no eliminating not one word of it. It all means exactly what it says, verbatim. Perfectly. 
So Holy Spirit leadership in you is not going to do anything contrary to the word. Your friends will try to talk you out of it. Your money will certainly plead with you to go another direction. Your heart will yearn for get your spouse, your friend, your kid, your situation to be what you want it to be. Your flesh will argue with you as to whether or not you should commit yourself, give your time, your talents, your efforts, your money, etc. to do what it is that God would have you to do. Everything in the world will stack up against you. Because almost everything in the world is on the side of the enemy. When you look at the stars, which you can't have anyway, they talk about the glory of God. When you're hugged innocently by a child, and they love you, despite how stupid you are, how mean you are, whatever, and they're loyal, and they love you anyway, they talk about the glory of God. When you think for a moment about the incredible complexity of your body from top to bottom and how it's screwed up one day and okay the next and healing works and and addiction works and DNA works and and people try to say, oh, it's just a coincidence happened in a mud puddle a few million years ago or something. No, no. This, This testifies about the glory of God. And that's on the side of God to get you to listen, to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's leading is in practical application of the word, in defining things. You read things and you go, well, according to English, this word means X. But according to God, it clearly also means X. And I understand that because the Holy Spirit is in me. He provides a healthy motivation while keeping it base sin. He seals and regenerates us. He keeps the sin at bay that is still alive in us, sustaining us against sin's death-dealing effects. You want to go after what your flesh wants? It's in the word. It's in the want. You want to go after what your flesh wants. But the Holy Spirit in you will show you a better way. And amazingly enough, the Holy Spirit takes up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. It's his sword. And I think you will not be surprised to find out that he knows how to use it. So in occupation, he must be in us. And in leading, he must be leading us. And then finally, and most importantly, perhaps because there's some contingency built on it, in killing sin. We allow God's Holy Spirit to work in us in killing sin. Sin is alive and multiplying. You ever see one of those shows where they put the gremlins together and suddenly there's gremlins everywhere? Or we just watched one on the Justice League she had two little bunnies and she was supposed to babysit them and keep the bunnies apart no matter what. And the bunnies got together and all of a sudden there's bunnies everywhere and they're fighting the bunnies and they're flying through the bunnies and smashing the bunnies and trying to capture the bunnies and everything. And then the bunnies were so proliferous that they became this huge monster which was going to swallow up the whole city. And every time she'd try to punch it, they'd just open up and let her fly through. Sin is like that. That's what sin is. Sin is not something you take like a vitamin. Like, I'm just going to take a little bit of sin today and I'll feel better because I'll get what I want. Sin is not something you control. I'm going to keep it in a box in my bedroom. I'm going to whip it out whenever somebody's messing with me. And it'll chase them away because I'll be mean, I'll be loud, I'll be vicious or something. And then they'll go away, leave me alone, and then I'll put it back in the bedroom in the box and only use it when I need it. Sin is not a firearm that has a safety and only works if it's loaded. Sin is a nuclear bomb that invades you at a cellular level and will blow up your life and make you dead. And you want to kill it. What you really want is to kill it. Not in your flesh, I understand. But what you really want, 
What God really wants is to kill sin. Proven. Because Jesus became sin on the cross and what did God do to him? He killed him. God wants to kill sin. Sin wants to kill you. God in you can kill sin a little bit more repeatedly, successfully, day after day after day. If you would wield the Holy Spirit the way He was meant to be wielded, you would be actively killing sin. Every time you snuff it out, you say, God, help me in the power to destroy this sin. Search it out. Not so you can enjoy it or covet it or, or, or hide it or snatch it or use it or wield it or put a handle on it or put a cage around it or forget it, but so you can destroy it. Because that is what we are obligated to do. And because He is in us, and because we are successfully split, and because He is leading us, and because He is killing sin in us on a daily basis, there is now, therefore, no more condemnation for you and for me. But if that's not the way you're living your life, if you're not actively seeking out and destroying sin that you would slip into, if you're not cutting out temptations, if you're not turning off dirty movies, if you're not throwing away addictive substances, if you're not forcing yourself to say encouraging things and chase out every opportunity to say something discouraging, slanderous, or false, if you're not actively squashing in yourself that part of you that remains alive and would be called sin that is leading you to do things that you should not do, then you better ask yourself how comfortable God's Holy Spirit actually is going to be occupying you when all He wants to do is destroy sin and all you want to do is keep the lion and the lamb on a chain and unleash sin in your life. We come to our conclusion. We've been talking about circumcision, and really what we're talking about here is the circumcision of the inward man. The circumcision of the inward man results in application of God's Word, and more importantly, God's Holy Spirit at work to defeat an enemy that once killed us. See, we're already resurrected. We were dead, and now we live. We were dead in our transgressions and sins, and now we live. And then Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 54 to 58, he says, But when this perishable, that's this, have put on the imperishable, and this mortal have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? Remember what the sting of death is? We read it. Do you remember what the sting of death is? Sin. So while we are not dead, we can still feel the sting. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. 
Join with me, remnant. Join with me, church. Join with me, kingdom occupiers. Join with me, conquerors, more than conquerors. Let us destroy sin in ourselves. The greatest sin you will ever face is the sin that you yourself have propagated and continue. That very sin, if you are unwilling to destroy it in you, will take you to hell one day. Because if you are unwilling to destroy it, then you have not united yourself with the Holy Spirit of God who hates it and can destroy it. You have not understood the Word of God as a liberator, a light, and a truth, but rather you are trapped in it. And I see people all the time who claim to be Christians and they say, well, I've got to do this by the Ten Commandments, and I've got to do this, what Paul said, and I've got to do that. And that's the way they're living their life. And it's not entirely wrong. It just isn't enough. You can't do that. You have to live by the Spirit. It's not by the letter of the law, but by God's Holy Spirit who inspired the law and the fullness of the law. The fullness of the law is the salvation and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He did it. It's done. Be free. Join the fight. And yet... I want to read just very briefly from an essay, and we are in our conclusion. This is my last illustration, I think. <laughs> 21 ways to build a stronger life, a stronger spiritual life. Be a river, not a swamp. The Bible says, rivers of living water will flow from the heart of those who believe in me. Remember, it is the mountain stream that carries fresh life-giving water because it flows out. A swamp collects and retains water that comes its way. Don't be the kind of person who seeks to accumulate much before allowing a little to flow through. As Christians, we are, are, are to let blessings flow through us and on to others. When we hoard and damn the blessing in our lives, we are in danger of becoming spiritually stagnant, emotionally detached, and intellectually cynical. Resolve to break up the dam and let the blessings flow. Be like Moses, speaking words of blessing. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you, be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. And this, by the way, to Christians and non-Christians alike, because there are lost people who need to hear that. They're at war trying to come to life. You've already come to life and are at war with sin. Nurture a shared prayer life. Find somebody to pray with. Take time alone with the Lord. Take a step of faith. Stop debating with yourself whether you can do it or not. If God has called you to do it, then do it. If it gets you crucified, so what? It worked for Jesus. Just decide to take the step of faith and become the kind of person that God really wants you to be. Leap out. Spend yourself on something that is bigger than you can possibly imagine. You get an inkling. I think I could do it. That's what God wants me to do. Yeah, Just do it. Take a leap of faith. Restore someone else's faith. Help somebody pick up the pieces of a broken dream. You'll never become more grateful than when you realize exactly how much suffering others have gone through. It doesn't matter how much you've suffered. You made it through to this point. Then when you begin to see exactly how much they've gone through, you be humbled and grow as a Christian. Be a grateful person. Start every day with a morning prayer of gratitude to God for the gift of a new day. Do this even if the day appears ominous. Conclude every day with an evening prayer of gratitude to God for the gift of the preceding hours. Do this even if you've had a very tough day. Share the journey. Make a point of finding another believer who wants to grow spiritually and a set of time to meet with them, to talk with them, to study the Bible, to pray with them, whatever. Share the journey. Serve. Look for ways to serve in your community and in your church. 
Read and reflect on the actions of Jesus. Cultivate a little solitude. Sit down. Shut up. Block out the noise. And get back to who you are in Christ. Fast and pray. The next time somebody asks you to pray for something because it's urgent, right then, that moment, say, okay, I'm not going to eat or I'm not going to do X until I hear a result or for 24 hours or for three days or whatever the Lord leads you to do. And it doesn't have to be giving up all food, but you can do that. If you do it and you know it's going to conflict with your medical conditions, then talk to your doctor first and ask them, how do I do that? You turn your worries over to God. The scripture tells us to turn our worries over to God. What are you fretting about anyway? If he's for you, who can be against you? Do it every time a worry crops up in your head. When you start thinking, I wonder how that's going to turn out. Turn it over to God. Spread love wherever you go. First of all, in your own house. That's what uh, Mother Teresa of Calcutta once advised. She said, spread love everywhere you go. First of all, in your own house. Let no one ever come to you without leaving better and happier. Be the living expression of God's kindness. Kindness in your face. Kindness in your eyes. Kindness in your smile. Kindness in your warm greeting. Or are you afraid that somehow the world's going to get one over on you? And if you're afraid somehow the world's going to get one over on you, then you probably don't realize the big dog you're running with. Keep your priorities straight. Know what is ultimately important and what is not. Consider the words of former President George Bush. I am blessed with a close and wonderful family and I want to spend the rest of my life letting them know how much I love them and appreciate them, he said. One of my most important accomplishments, one I am still working on, is to be a huge success in the grandfather business. I would like to be remembered for integrity, service, and family. What's really important? It ain't your job. If you think it is, you got your priorities screwed up. Strive for excellence. Whatever you do, do it well. Use it or lose it. Gifts that will wane and die. Remember those transforming gifts that you got from the Holy Spirit when He came and took up residence? If you don't use those gifts, you just might lose them. They'll certainly shrink down in a way and not seem important to you. Meditate on Scripture. Make it a habit to read and study your Bible in a regular, disciplined way. Meditate on what you read. Think about it. Ask questions in your mind about it. Let God answer. Be reliable. Do what you say you will do, whether it is convenient or not. If you get to the end of the day and you promise somebody you would do something, you didn't do it, go out. Don't come in until it's done. Keep your word. God does. Ask God to make you a blessing today. A great way to grow in wonder and amazement is by asking God to turn your life into a blessing. Do this each morning before resuming your daily activities. Offer a short, simple prayer like this one. Dear God, on this day, make my life a blessing to someone somewhere. Then pay close attention to every person you encounter during the day as God will honor your prayer, sometimes in surprising ways. If these are not your priorities, you're missing out on opportunities to live a powerful spiritual life. The last one on this list is the one that touched me most and caused me to add it in exercise your power of choice. No matter what happens to you, you always have the freedoms to choose. You can select joy over despair. You can select love over hate. You can select forgiveness over revenge. You can select growth over stagnation. Remember that a crisis can evoke the best in us or the worst in us. The choice is yours. Who will win? Sin? In you? Or you? I'm going to pray with you briefly and we'll go to the invitation.
Father in heaven, we have known, and it comes as no great surprise to us, that our amazing God made an amazing creation. Right down to the DNA level. You decided where we would live and when, who we experienced and how. You gave us access to all the knowledge that we needed to make a genuine decision. Take Jesus as Lord and Master to believe that He died on the cross for our sins and to be born again. You did this for us. And the effect in this lifetime of being born again, of being circumcised in the heart, to be inhabited by your Holy Spirit, alive again, and at war, it would be realistic to say, a daily fight. And there is no one here who can say that they have not lost that fight on certain days. Claim that we do not have sin is to make our God and His Word out a liar. We've lost the fight on certain days. That's not the problem. The problem is whether or not we're willing to fight. Having been born again, we know what's right. And can again and again learn more of what's right. Led by your Holy Spirit, Spirit to better understand the Word of God. He wields His sword and allows us to wield His sword under His leadership with such power and such freedom. Lord, give us hearts of flesh. Send into us Your Holy Spirit. Let us join the fight day in and day out. Strike one more blow against that sin that is alive in us. He's got a lot of hit points. It's going to take a lot of strikes. But ultimately, this carnal body, this fleshly body that, that does perceive and desire these things, will put on the immortal, resurrected body that you are ready to, to give. And then it just be me. People always ask me, well, I don't know what my personality would be like. I'm not sure what I'll be like when I'm fully saved and in heaven with God. And we can get a pretty good understanding, a pretty good answer to that question. We just look at us when we're doing what we're supposed to be doing when we're not doing what we're not supposed to be doing. When we're letting you reign in us. There might be a person here in the room who had not previously truly accepted you, let you take over leadership of their life through Jesus, your son. And we know he is the only way. Please entreat them now to once and for all and in earnest really release themselves into your hands.
to be brought to life and to begin to war against this, this living sin that is in us. Maybe someone here today who would say, I am a follower of Lord Jesus Christ. I know to whom I belong, and I know what I have entrusted unto him, and that he is able to keep it under that day. But I also realize now that I have not been an active participant in winning the fight against my own sin. And they'd like to pledge themselves into your service again today. There may be other decisions as well that need to be made, whatever they might be, whatever's on people's hearts, whatever they're committing themselves to, whatever they believe you happen to do. As we sing this song, move us to respond to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I ask the praise team to come forward at this time. Lead us in a closing hymn. This is a hymn of worship, but it's also a hymn of response. And so if you're responding, whether you're with us in person or online, please make your decision known and say, okay, God, as you will, not as I will. If you're comfortable and able to do so, please stand where you are and sing along. And if you're making a decision, you go ahead and respond, walk forward to the front of the room or raise your hand right where you are or, or type a comment online. You're responding to God, not to me. As we sing.
Okay, we're done singing right now. We got a word coming your way from Sister Chris Mitchell. So, a few weeks ago, I was in here and I talked about the difference between feeling and emotion. Pastor Dan just spoke in his sermon about how we can feel that defeat. That's right. And I want to say, I'm going to. The definition of feeling is a belief, especially a vague or a rational one. So, when you are in Christ, when you know Jesus Christ, and you feel defeated, that is a lie. Amen. That's right. It's a lie because it's irrational. Because you know that God conquers everything. We've been told this in the Bible. So just remember, if you know Jesus and you start thinking you can't do this, then it's a lie. It's good word. Amen. It's good word. Anyone else have a word before we close? Thank you for a wonderful service. <laughs> Praise the Lord. We give them all the glory. So, I, uh, as I said, this, this sermon series is speaking to my heart, and so I hope you all get something out of it. Um, and maybe going across the world. We, we've got people listening to the podcast from literally all over the place, and it's growing, growing, so praise God for that. Um, but it's God's Word. It's not about us. Um, the truth is, without His Holy Spirit, we wouldn't understand it. You'd be, uh, you'd be set to fail. But with Him, working in us, convicting us, and helping us to understand, we can do amazing things. And so we're going to pray together at this time and close and then go out and be the church. We do ask you to lift up uh, those who are hurting and suffering. There's a lot of that going on. But sometimes it isn't just enough just to pray. You need to reach out and find out what people are really going through. And that's something we're not very good at. And the reason we're not very good at is because it's our sinful nature. It's our flesh. We're busy fighting. Uh, and sometimes it's a good fight. Um, but sometimes it's about our desires or our wants or whatever. You don't need half of what you have. You have it because you're blessed by God and able to share it. So, all right, let's pray. Uh, Brother Ron Mack, would you close us in prayer today? Yep. Lord, Father in heaven, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here today in your house, Lord, to, to hear the words laid on Pastor Dan's heart. I pray, Lord, that they will inspire us, that they will, uh, that they will draw us closer to you. Father, thank you for the healing that you've imparted on Frank. Uh, Lord, we ask more healing to all those that are sick and hurting in our midst and around us. Lord, please heal this nation. Unite us together. Draw us closer together. Father, please uh, be with us as we go from this place during the team leader meeting. I pray we'll hear your will spoken. And help us to remember that we're always one body under you. Father, please help us to, to be that body and to work together to see your will and your, your roles done. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all. Go be there for and be the church.